introduced to uh, Andrew Rappaport. He grew up in a Jewish family, so you're in for a real treat. And he's from New, New, Jersey. New Jersey. I almost said New York. Um, some of his other friends are from New York. So he, he, he's a high-energy guy. He's not like me, so you, you got to get ready for this guy, all right? So uh, you will not fall asleep, I guarantee you. Uh, Andrew, come up, and uh, we just want to be uh, blessed by what you have in your heart. I want to pray for my brother. And that God would give him wisdom as he shares the word. Father, we pray today that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would illuminate our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, allow Andrew to share the message that you have laid on his heart for this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the commitment of this brother and the passion and the compassion that he has for the lost. And Lord, I pray today that as he speaks, that each heart would be attuned to your word. And that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and exalted. I pray that you would hide my dear brother behind the cross. And, Father, we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'll say for this, for, uh, before I get started, uh, for those parents who have your kids here, your kids are well protected. I know that because I showed up here and, uh, you know, I had to give four forms of ID. I was frisked. It was, it was, no, the director did come in and she was like, excuse me, who are you? What are you guys doing here? You know, so that was good. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess a, a little bit here. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I shared this with Pastor. Uh, I, I, I just got back from Georgia literally twenty less than 24 hours before I came here. It's kind of my life. I pack multiple bags and I, I literally will have three bags set to, to go and I come home. I take one bag. I leave the other bag. My wife does my laundry, repacks it, and then I go back out for another flight. I forgot to pack a suit. I am very uncomfortable not preaching behind a pulpit in a jacket and tie. So if I seem nervous, that is why it's my personal preference. Some of you are going, get over it. I know I won't. Um, I like the amens. Um, I, uh, I, I will say this. I, I travel around the country uh, and I get to see a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. And I'm going to embarrass your pastor uh, and his wife. I'm not going to look so they don't give me dirty looks. Um, let me tell you, son, folks, I've been able to observe your pastor and his wife this weekend. From the moment I got here, when Mitch and I arrived to, to try to set up for this conference, I never saw either one of them stop serving. Okay? I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm you know, have been given the privilege of being able to be behind this pulpit. I'm saying this because... I don't say this very often. You guys should be honoring your pastor. Okay, I don't know. You probably do. But I'm telling you, you have a man who is humble and willing to serve. And that is a very precious thing. Because a man like that that stands at a pulpit and gives you God's word is someone you should honor. Um, so I'm just saying that. Uh, I, just, I was really touched by watching how they were working all weekend. Um, so as... as Pastor Steve said, I am with Striving for Eternity Ministries. It is a discipleship ministry. Uh, we offer online classes on Monday nights live. For you guys, it would be 5 o'clock. For us, it would be 8 o'clock at night because, you know, we're on that, you know, bad part of the country. But, uh, but, but we teach classes right now. Uh, we're teaching through a book that, uh, has, that I've just written and has been published on the Western world religions. Um, if any of you like to try to witness to people who are not of Christian faith, like if you like witnessing to Catholics or Muslims, uh, you can come on Facebook and you'll have plenty of opportunity because we just got done teaching three lessons on what Catholics believe and we posted it on our Facebook page, the Striving for Ministry, Striving for Eternity Ministries Facebook page, thinking it was for the people who follow our ministry to watch the class. And we were inundated by hundreds of Roman Catholics and thousands of comments. And I had to put on my personal page going, please, if there's anyone that wants to evangelize Catholics, here's your chance. Because they're inundating us. And my wife said, and you're going to start Islam soon? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but so, yeah, you can pray for us. Um, the, uh, but we, we, do, we offer online classes. We, uh, we offer... Uh, seminars on how to interpret the Bible. We just had, we have work, well, kind of events really. I don't know what to call our conferences, but we have what we call our Spreading the Fire events, uh, which it was here this week. And it's kind of evangelism and kind of not. I mean, we do go out and evangelize, 
And I encourage you guys, you know, to, if you've never seen some of the evangelism, I know I'm an open air preacher, but I don't do it like the guys you've seen. Okay. I, 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 I realize that most of us, if we think open air preaching, it's like, no, I've seen those crazy guys on the street. Okay. It is crazy. I admit it. I, I, you know, one of my opening lines when I open air preach is I get up on a box and I say, I know some of you think I'm a fool on a box and well, I'm on a box and yeah, I'm kind of foolish, but it doesn't mean that the message that I'm proclaiming is not foolishness. And that's what we end up doing. And so there's some people that do well, and you guys actually have in this area a pretty good team of people uh, that do some pretty good outreach. Um, and we've been working with them for a couple years. And so uh, it's been a privilege. And it's been a real privilege to get to know this church, seeing some faces that I've seen this weekend. So I'm sorry that you're going to have nightmares at this face, but I hope you'll get over it. Uh, what I'm going to provide for you this morning um, is a book that I've been working on that I've been writing through. Um, and so basically I hope that you are familiar with your, your Bible. We're going to be going through the gospels and we're going to be going through the gospels. We're going to hit a lot of different verses. Um, the book that I'm working on is called Jesus Christ claims of deity. Now I started working on this because I often go on college campuses on universities and am set up to do debates with Muslims because the book that I just published is, well, on world religions. And I systematized uh, Islam and Catholicism and Jehovah Witness and Mormonism, Christianity, uh, and Judaism. Oh, that's right. forgot that one. That's a bad one for me to forget. <laughs> Could get in trouble. Uh, but so I systematize those religions. And, and so I'm often debating with Muslims. Well, I'm used to Muslims telling me that they don't believe Jesus is God. I, I have the, the dilemma, uh, you know, I got here at the airport, and this is becoming a, a common dilemma because the Jehovah Witnesses now set up at every airport. Like every airport I come in, I find the Jehovah Witnesses, which is a problem because someone's usually picking me up at the airport. And I, I'm like, no, no, you can keep, drive around, circle, please. I, I have a conversation, you know, and so I got picked up and, and the guy who's picking me up says, do you want me to meet you at baggage claim or by the Jehovah Witnesses? <laughs> Oh, please, I know right where to meet you. I will find them. And so I walk up, and the first question I always ask them is, why did Jesus Christ have to be God? They've never heard it worded that way. They're like, what? Yeah, he had to be God. He must be God. And then I'll ask them, did you know that if you go through the Gospels, 48% of the Gospels refer to Jesus Christ as God, either directly or indirectly? And you go, wait, ooh, Andrew, that sounds kind of high, high number. I haven't seen that in the Gospels. Well, that's what I've been doing is I've been working through a book. Because think about this, and we're going to touch on a couple of these things. But, you know, every time Jesus read someone's mind, you ever think about that? What's he doing? Something only God can do? We, we overlook that. I also ask a Jehovah's Witness, did Jesus read people's mind? Oh, yes. I thought only God could do that. And the one lady just went, uh, well, what about this verse over here? Well, no, no, no. Let's stick on with that point first, right? And so what you have is you have people that don't realize how often Christ puts his deity on display. And I started going through, and I, I, to be honest with you, I went through the Gospels thinking maybe I'd find three or 400 references to Jesus directly or indirectly being God through the four Gospels. Well, actually, I got 483 just in Matthew. Actually, that's not really. That's just the number of verses. There's actually 594 references. Because sometimes there's two references in one verse. You see, every time you go through and you see he controlled weather. Do you know that the demons recognized him as God? They called him God. Even the Jewish leaders that wanted to crucify him knew he was God. We're going to look at that today. And so I started to, to accumulate, and I'm an engineer by trade, so you, you end up seeing this. You know, I work through numbers. I like statistics. And so it, when you look, uh, just to give you some statistics, 45% of the Gospel of Matthew, 46% of Mark, 39% of Luke, and 67% of John, for a total of 48% of the Gospels, refer, that's unique verses, refer to Jesus as God directly or indirectly. Now, when you look at that, 
that means that this must be an important point. Maybe we're just not trained in how to read the the Gospels to see that every time Jesus is doing these things, he's showing he's God. So what we're going to look at today is a title that he's given. And the title is Son of David. Okay? Now maybe you're not as familiar with this title and why this would be a a title of deity. And we're going to look at that. But first, what I want to do is go through Luke and then John. And then we're going to spend much of our time in, in Matthew. But what I want to do is if you if you're turning so you can turn to Luke one, it'll seem like Christmas. You know, we're going to start with the Christmas story. Um, But what we want to do is is first see established that Jesus was called the son of God. Sorry, the son of, of David. And so I'm I'm going to be giving some verses and giving explanation as we go through this. And we're going to hopefully bring this all together so that if I do this well, you will be convinced just with this one title, the Son of David, that clearly not only Jesus claimed to be God, but those around him knew that he was God. Okay? So that's going to be my goal today with you. And let me, let me also explain why this is so important. Um, have you ever had an experience where you thought someone was someone else? I had the guy who was best man at my wedding. He, uh, he went, when we were in college together, he decided he saw this very attractive young lady and he wanted to ask her on a date. And so he got up the nerve and he said, hey, can, can I take you out tonight for dinner? Sure. Hey, you know, where, what's your room number? She gives the room number. And so he was like, oh, this is so great. He was all excited. And then he, he happened to look in, the, in the, you know, the dining hall later on and he saw her and he comes up and says... He just walks up and says, hey, I want to ask you, so is 7 o'clock okay to pick you up? And she goes, what are you talking about? You're not taking me anywhere. He got really nervous. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, he was very happy with the fact that he's a, you know, he has some persistence. So he decided to go to the room anyway. Because he really wasn't sure what was going to happen. He wasn't sure if he still had a date. So when he knocked on the door and found out that they're twin sisters, he had it finally figured out. <laughs> His mistake was he asked the one that was really, really polite. And the one that he misunderstood, thought was her is the one that has a really rough character. So it was really funny that it worked out that way because she's the one like, you know, are you trying to pick me up? That's a really funny pickup line, buddy. Yeah. So, you know, it was embarrassing because he got the wrong person. He had the wrong identity. The thing here is that if you have the wrong identity with who Jesus Christ is, it is the difference of eternal life or eternal damnation. That's how serious it is. You know, when I speak to the Jehovah Witnesses, and, they, and like your pastor, they don't come to my house. I'm on a list of do not visit. They're not allowed. I'm, I'm really, really bad. I mean, this will, this will tell you, you, your pastor said I'm high energy. Pray for my wife. She's got to live with me. She said she can't wait until I turn 80 so that maybe I would calm down. I said, honey, when I'm 80, you're 84. You know, <laughs> you know it does, that doesn't help you. <laughs> But, but I actually go, when the Jehovah Witnesses come in my neighborhood, actually, when I move to a new neighborhood, I call up the Jehovah Witnesses, and I call up the Mormons. I, Can I get a book of Mormons sent to me? Please send a missionary. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and so they only visit once, and then they're, oh, wait, you're Andrew Rapport, okay. So, so I get avoided. And what they used to do, when I moved into one neighborhood, the Jehovah Witnesses, we have uh, one of my neighbors, his sister's a Jehovah Witness, and so they would come by our, our development every week. And so they would go to the house here, and after they figured out who I was, they'd go right across my house and go to this neighbor here. And so what I would do is I'd grab my New World Translation, and I'd pull it off the shelf, and I'd go outside, and I'd go to my neighbor's house and stand behind the Jehovah Witnesses. And the Jehovah Witnesses are like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm just going to give the truth when you lie to them. And so my neighbors open the door and see the Jehovah Witnesses like, oh, again. And then they see me and it's like, oh, great. Our new neighbor is a Jehovah Witness, you know. And so they start trying to explain things. And I go, they're lying to you. That's not what the Bible says. And I just stand there, you know, and I'm just correcting it. And, and eventually they avoided my entire street. One of my neighbors came up to me and said, we are so glad that you moved in. Do you know that Jehovah Witnesses have not been here once since the first week you moved in? We are so thankful. <laughs> I actually had them once come by the house and they, 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 they were coming by the neighborhood and they came by once accidentally. It was someone new and they didn't check the list. And, and the next day they were in the neighborhood and I saw them. So I drove over and I'm like, hey, you guys came by yesterday. You guys going to come by today? 
we weren't supposed to come by your house. They, they, they didn't realize that. Oh, no, I want you to come, please. And, and the reason is because I, I tell them all the time, I, have, I, I feel bad for them. You want to talk about zeal without knowledge, as the proverb says. I mean, they devote their entire Saturday, every day, going out to earn salvation. Because that's what they're doing. That's why they do that. I mean, how many of us would set up at the mall or at the, at the airport every single weekend, every single day to sit there on rotations to try to sh- spread the truth? They do that to spread falsehood. And, you know, it, it really, it, it, I look at them and I, I feel so sorry for them. Could you picture what it's going to be like when they stand before Christ? And they're expecting to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And instead they hear... Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I do not know you. Your people ask, how do you get, how do you put up with these guys that that are so antagonistic to you when you're preaching? Because my heart breaks with where they're going to spend eternity. And, And what we do with Jesus Christ, who we think he is, it's all wrapped up in that. This is the key. What Jesus Christ did And who he is makes the difference of the two religions in the entire world. And there are only two. I'll give you those two real quick. Two religions in the entire world. There's a religion of divine effort and a religion of human effort. And that's it. You can take every single world religion. Islam, Judaism, Catholicism, Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism. Stick them into a religion of human effort. Because that is ultimately what they trust. It may be like in Catholicism. Oh, we believe in faith plus works. Well, if it's plus anything, then what's the ultimate thing that's getting you in a right state with God? What you're doing. That plus. It is Christianity that is the only religion, a unique religion that teaches that we are saved by what God did and God alone. Because of who Christ is. Why must Jesus be God? I'll give you that in the beginning, even though I'm going to try to build to, to explain that. But here's why Jesus Christ must be God. Jesus Christ must be God because only an eternal being can pay an eternal fine. If Jesus Christ is not God, then our eternal fine is not paid. And then we must pay it for all eternity. See, and if Jesus wasn't a man, he can't pay a fine for men. So Jesus Christ is unique that he is fully God and fully man. But if he is not God, then we are dead in our sin. That's why it's so important to know that we have a right understanding of who Jesus is. So let's look at this title, Son of David. We know that we we hear this passage. uh, This is, I'm going to read verse 27 of of Luke 1. We hear this, you know, once a year, Christmas time. It seems like there's certain passages of scripture that we're not allowed to to read at any other time of year, I think, you know. We, we, we sang a song this weekend that, that, that uh, the guy who, who runs the, the event, he, he ends up saying, hey, just tell everyone Merry Christmas because we sang a song that usually we only sing at Christmas time, right? But here in verse 27, look at what is ref- how Jesus is referred to. I'm going to start in verse 26 just to get a little bit of, of the context. But in the sixth month, the angel J- Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Uh, And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the house of David. I want you to just understand it. She's of the house of David. Okay? So that becomes important because what you're going to see, we're going to get to this later, is that being of the house of David is very important within Judaism. Okay? It's because of a covenant that God made. Now let's look at a a couple, well, more than a couple verses later, but verse 69 of the same chapter. And I'm going to start actually in, in 67. So we see that Jesus was of the lineage of David. And that's okay. There's many people that are of the lineage of David. I'm not. But there's there's many that are. And so maybe there's nothing super special about that. But look at what it says here. It says, And his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in 
the house of his servant David. Now, you're seeing here that he's saying he's talking about the salvation. So this is an indicator that this person that's being raised up in the house of David is the horn of salvation. The one that's going to bring salvation. All right. So now this isn't the title yet, son of David, but I'm trying to show that he was in David's house. He was of the lineage of David. This is really, really important, by the way, in Judaism. It's one of the reasons that you see that they're, they're, they would keep these histories. So-and-so begot so-and-so. Oh, some of you never get past that part, right? You. Okay. So, so you know, you, the, the, we, those reading those so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so are actually, there are some value in reading those things. It's not just the part that you skip over when you're doing your devotions. But one of the things that shows that there was an importance to lineage within Judaism because there was... A seed, a specific person that was going to come from a lineage that was going to be a a special person, a Messiah, anointed one in English. And that's the reason you see throughout history, there have been times where people tried to wipe out Israel. We spoke this weekend about Balaam and some of the things he did to to, to try to wipe out the lineage of Israel and, and mess up God's plans. But now let's look in the book of John. I just want to go to John 6. I told you I'm going to give you a lot of verses, and then we're going to pull things together. So I just hope that you'll, you'll stay with me. If not, I will wake you up. I will call you out. And people, There's at least one person here who knows for a fact that I, I, I will call you out by name if you're caught sleeping. I won't name him, but he knows for a fact because I've done it. But that's okay. He's a really good friend, even if he's from, you know, Minnesota. And, and so, um, but the, the thing is, you know, we look at John 7 and look at, I'm going to, specifically, I want to look at 42, but let, I'm going to start reading in verse 40. By the way, I hope you notice what I do. I don't read the verse that I want you to focus on. Always do that. Always back up and read context. Always. I have a friend of mine, Greg Coakley, says, never read a Bible verse. Read the chapter. Okay, so verse 40, and I would read the chapter, but then we would never get done. and You guys would be upset with me. I was told I have three hours. Is that correct? Pastor usually goes three. Okay. Um, it is a funny thing. I've actually preached on the street for three and a half hours is my longest sermon on the street. I could never do that in a church. So verse 40, when they heard the words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that, when, that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? <clears throat> so now what do you have? You have a couple titles here. We're not going to focus on these other titles today. But the prophet and the Christ... Those two, prof, those two titles. So you see, the people are sitting here and saying, look at the things Jesus is doing. Because, by the way, that's one of the things. Jesus says his works would testify to who he is. He's saying, look at the works I do. You want to know from God? Look at what I do. And this is an example where the people are seeing what he does and they're going, this must be the prophet. That's a specific prophet. In Deuteronomy, it speaks about the prophet that would be like Moses, but far greater. Is this the Christ? Now, Christ in English means anointed one. Now, if if you were paying attention or if you were taking notes, maybe you picked up that I already gave you a different word for anointed one from the Hebrew. Messiah. So This may be news to you. I don't know if you realize that Christ is not his last name. Okay? Uh, It's actually a title like Caesar. Which even that, in some schools, they don't, people don't realize that Caesar wasn't his last name. It was a title. Like we would say president. He had a specific title of the Christ. The prophet. They're speaking of a specific person that in the Old Testament times, the Jewish people looked forward to a specific person that was going to come and redeem God's people. And bring in a new covenant. Now, I'll tell you what the new covenant is. Because it's something that you guys, most of us, we probably take for granted. We don't give much thought to. And a Jewish person longs for. And that is that the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
In Jeremiah 31 and in Ezekiel, it says that when, when the Messiah is going to come, one of the things that he's going to bring with the new covenant, the sign of the new covenant, is we no longer need priests. We can go directly to God because he's going to be in us, teaching us his word. We no longer need to go to some man to tell us what God says. God is in us. Not the new age kind of in us. God indwells us and we can go to his word and read his word and he will give us its meaning. Let's rejoice in that. We don't have to go to some priest speaking a language we don't know. Whether it be Latin as your students are doing or in my case Hebrew. I hated going to synagogue every Saturday. I never understood what they were talking about. Okay, I eventually had to learn Hebrew to be more interested. But, but you know, it, we no longer need to go to someone else. We have a mediator, the God-man Christ. This is why this is so important. So he, here you see that the people are looking at Jesus. They're looking at things they don't. It, it, is this the one? This, this, is, this seems like the guy. And what's the question? Well, how can he be the one? This Christ is going to be of the line of David. And this guy that we're seeing is from Nazareth. They're going, that that can't be. Because the Messiah is of David, born in Bethlehem. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And God decided to move him to to Nazareth. Well, he moved Lazarus too. (laughs) Lazarus was dead and he said, time to get up and... He moved him. So, so what, what I want you to see here is that Jesus was clearly seen to be from the line of David and that for being from the line of David was necessary and that people understood that actually became the questioning. Could this be, could Jesus be this one? Well, if he is, he would have to be born of David. Okay, so now let's take a look at whether people, before we get to the importance of this title... Okay, I want to say, did, did other people call him this, this specific title, Son of David? Okay, now, Son of in, in Israel has two, two different meanings. And this will be good if you ever talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. Or actually, many people that don't understand the term Son of God. Okay? Son of could mean offspring. Okay? I'm the son of Marty. That's my father. I'm his son. I'm the offspring, okay? But son of thunder, as James and John were called, does not mean that two lightning bolts cracked together and out came John and James. No, they were, well, probably what we'd call open-air preachers, right? They were loud and bolsterous. And because of that, they were like thunder. They had the essence of thunder, okay? And so they were called the sons of thunder. Barnabas was not his given name. Bar means son. Barnabas means son of encouragement. This guy was such an encourager, had such a gift of mercy, that it became his name. You are the essence of mercy, the essence of encouragement. So we're going to call you Barnabas. So son of David has two meanings. One, the fact that he is the offspring of David, as I've already tried to show you, he had to be of the line of David. But it also means he has the character of a man after God's own heart, but in a greater way. And we're going to see that in a few minutes, that he was even greater than David. So he had the essence of David, but amplified. So he was a king, but the king of kings. He had a heart after God because he was God. Okay? So we're going to see this in a few minutes when we look into an Old Testament psalm. But first, let's look at Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 9, I want to look at two blind men. Not two blind mice, two blind men. And we're going to look specifically in verse 27. So Matthew nine twenty-seven, And Jesus passed from there... Two blind men followed, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and said to him, And he said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, 
saying, according to your faith, it has been done. Their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that you tell no one about this. But they went away and spread, the, uh, spread his fame throughout the whole district. I mean, he just gave them one thing to do. <laughs> Did he know that they were going to go and talk anyway? Yes. yes. Right? So why did he tell them to do what he knew they weren't going to do? I don't know. But, but what we see here is that these blind men call him by a title that the Jewish people would understand. Son of David. Let's look at another account where we see this happen. Because not only do two blind men see him as the son of David, which was this reference to an eternal king that would rule in David's place, that we call the Messiah. But we see this a second time. We see this in... um, let's Let's look at Mark 10. I'll go to that one. I didn't want to flip between Mark and Matthew, but that's a better one. Mark 10, 47. Mark chapter 10 and verse 47. I sure hope you guys brought Bibles today. Actually, it, it, is, it is a rejoicing thing to hear pages turning. You know, usually I have to come to a church and say, open your app. You know, um, I'm too old school, I know. So let's look at verse 46 just to get some, some to start at the context. But this is going to be in Mark 10, 46. Specifically, we want to look at 47. But, and they came to Jericho. And he was leaving Jericho and his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And followed him on the way. So you have two accounts. What's so special about these? Yes, they use the title of son of David. And you go, what's the big deal? The big deal is what did they expect of Jesus? They expected him to do something that only God could do. To cure cure their blindness. They weren't just saying, oh, you're son of David. We, We have high hopes for you. We want you to do something that only God can do. Give us sight. I never see the faith healers on TV do that one. And it's immediate. Right? I mean, the faith healers are like, well, I have, you know, really bad vision, but it's getting a little better. No. He he is healing them completely. And that is their expectation. So what we see is when they use this title, Son of David... They have an expectation with that title. And that expectation helps us to understand what they mean by that title. This is the thing when you read the scriptures. If you're with me for any length of time, you realize that my biggest thing is teaching people how to understand the Bible. When you read the scriptures, don't just read it. Read the scriptures. Ask yourself like a thousand questions and try to find the answers. When I'm reading through this, I say, why are they calling him son of David? Because they know he is God. Because that's what the title means. How do I know that? Because look at what they're asking him to do. We want you to do something. Not, would you call upon God for us? It's not what he's asking. This blind man, the other two blind men, will you... Heal us. Will you give us sight, son of David? Would you give this to us? Because they knew that he was God. That's why they're calling out to him using this title. And I know that I haven't explained it. We haven't gone into the Old Testament yet to to show this. We will. Let's look at one other passage. Let's go back to Matthew in chapter 12. Okay? Okay? 
Matthew 12, I want to look specifically at verse 23. I want to see how the, how the crowds, what they called Jesus, did they recognize him as such, as the son of David? I want to start at verse 22. So this is Matthew 12, starting at 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw... And all the people were amazed. Wouldn't you be amazed? Yeah. And said, can this be the son of David? You see, in the other passage that we saw earlier in John, they were saying, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the prophet? Was he born of David? Here they're saying, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now look at the next verse. Really, look at verse 25. Knowing their words. Is that what it says? Knowing their thoughts, he said to them. I mean, you know, part of me, okay, this is my sanctified imagination. This is the way I end up thinking. Can you picture being one of the disciples? I mean, you're, you're walking around with someone that always knows your thoughts. Right? You, you, you know the proverb that says, you know, not to, to say something evil and then say it's just a joke. I mean, maybe you've never been guilty of that. I have. Or you try to cover something up and go, it's just a joke. Can you picture being a disciple? No, it wasn't. I'm sorry, God. You ever wonder why Jesus' brothers did not like him? Have you ever thought what it's like growing up with God in your house? Jude, why can't you be like Jesus? James, can you be like your brother Jesus? He never gives me agita. So, I mean, no wonder they didn't like him until he was resurrected. Right, so, so here, what are they doing? They're seeing the works that Jesus did. And then when he's doing those works, works that only God could do, what are they, what's the title that they give to him? Is this the son of David? You see, they are attributing these miracle works that only God could do with the title son of David. Are you, I'm, I'm hopefully you're seeing that now. I'm trying to, to build that, but we're not done yet. I'm still going to give you one more. Well, actually, a couple more. Let's look at, uh, trying to figure out which one I want to use here. Let's look at Mark, 10, uh, Mark 11. Uh, I don't know if I want to stay in Matthew 21. or uh, we'll, do, we'll do Mark, Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 10. And we're, we want to focus on 11 here. And it says, And he entered the Jerusalem and went into the temple... And when he looked around, uh, I think I'm reading a wrong verse. Uh, verse 10, no wonder I read verse 11. Sorry about that. Uh, so let's, read, let's start in verse 4, get some context. And when they, when they went and found a colt and tied it at the door in the street, and they untied it, and some were standing there and said to him, What are you doing, and untying the colt? And they, they told them Jesus had, what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread lofty branches that they, might, that they had cut from the field. And those that went before, uh, before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, on the highest. Now, I understand that many of us, okay, we've seen this portrayed on TV and the movies, and yet they never explain the significance of this. You see, he's coming in as, as a king would come into a town after a victory. He'd, he'd ride in, and everyone would make a path to make a festival as the king would ride in on victory to, to announce the victory. But he's not coming in on a white stallion. Oh, he will one day. But he's not this day. He comes in on a donkey. 
a humble animal. He's coming in on a donkey as was prophesied because he's prophesied to be the Messiah that would first come as a savior, not as the king, but he is the king. And he comes in on his, what we call the triumphal entry. And people are recognizing what? That he is going to bring in the everlasting kingdom or this coming kingdom. So what we end up seeing, and I'm going to turn back to Matthew 21 and verse 9 and 15. And I want to read this and then we're going to explain this a little bit more. So Matthew 21, same account. In verse 9 it says that the crowds went before him and followed him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now some of you may get this if you talk to people. See, one account says son of David. One account says he's the coming one of David. See, see, there's a contradiction. Have any of you been in a crowd? Some of you were at a crowd last night, right? And, and, And there were people shouting at whoever was preaching. Did they all shout the same thing even though they might have shouted things that were similar? No. They were shouting different things but with the same idea. Okay, so one person may have shouted... He's the coming king. But another person shouted, Son of David. Now I'm bringing that together for this purpose. You see what you're seeing here is that the people in the crowd were seeing this title, Son of David, tying it to the kingdom that's to come. You can't separate those two. We're going to go in the Old Testament soon to see why. Then also in verse 15 of the same chapter... We see, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children of Israel in the temple, Hosanna to the son, crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, they were angry. Now, if you remember the account, they were planning to kill Jesus after Passover. They didn't want to make a scene. So we'll wait till after Passover. God didn't want them to wait till after Passover. So here he comes in on a donkey, knowing what the crowd is going to say, knowing the heart of the Jewish leaders that they can't stand this. They're the political leaders. They're the ones in charge. I mean, we sometimes have a hard time understanding, how could the Jews do this? I mean, they see their Messiah. Wouldn't they have been like, he's here. All right, good. This is great. Really? Could you picture like the Republicans and Democrats getting together? I mean, could you picture when Bush was president and the Democrats were in charge of Congress of them saying, yeah, let's sign all his bills? Or now that Obama's president with the Republican? Well, no, actually they are doing that. Um, but right, so, so can you picture these two groups of people that so hate one another? That it's like, because this person is saying it, I'm never going to agree with that. It doesn't matter if it's the right thing. It doesn't matter if it's good. It's the fact that they're saying it. So what you have here is you have these Jewish leaders. They're the ones in charge. They get to make the shots. And here's someone being called the king. This could upset the apple cart. I mean, we got a good thing with Rome. You know, Rome kind of leaves us alone. But if, they, if there starts to be talk of a king, we got to get rid of him now. And it, let's make it public so that everyone just puts an end to this. Didn't quite work well for them, did it? So what we see is this reference of son of David being tied to the, pre, the, the prophet, the Christ, to the eternal king that we're going to get to in a moment. And that the people see that this person has an ability that only God has. All of that is wrapped up into this title. We really don't do much with titles in our day and age. Right? We don't give our children names often that have some sort of meaning. Okay, now I, I did with my son and my daughter. Okay, I, for those that don't know, I, I married a woman from Hong Kong. So my children have English names and they have Chinese names that we kind of use just in the house. My son, my wife had a very, very, very difficult pregnancy. She was on bed rest and it was, it was a, a lot of problems that she had. And, and we really didn't know after losing our first child whether we were going to lose this child. And so we, my wife was praying, my, I was praying, we were, she had to go back to her mother's house and stay there for, for a long period of time because I was at work and her mother had to take care of her. And we really struggled. And my wife said, after my son was born, 
I had to rely on Christ. And so his name is Sungay, which means to rely on Christ. Now, my son, unfortunately, is very much like his father. So when my wife would be told that, don't worry, you get the two-hour naps when your kids go to sleep. And my wife, I would come home from work, and my wife would be like, he has been up for 14 straight hours. He is like you. I don't sleep. So we had my daughter, which was, she was so sweet. She like, okay, the first two weeks, she had nights and days confused, but I had to deal with it because I was the one up at night. But after that, she was just so different than my son. She was quiet. She slept. So my wife said, she's such a grace. So she is, she is Gayan additional grace. So our children have meaning, have names that have meaning. Like Barnabas has meaning. Son of David has meaning. I'm trying to develop for you so you understand when you see son of David, all the meaning that a Jewish person would read into this. So we end up looking now at, let's go to Mark 12. I think that would be a good one. Mark 12, verse 35 to 37. Mark 12, verse 35 to 37. And Jesus taught in the temple... How can the scribes say the Christ is the son of David? This is the title that we're talking about, right? And so he's in the temple. He's expounding the scriptures to the Pharisees. Which I kind of think they're in their mind, they're thinking, who's this upstart that thinks he knows the scriptures? Uh, He's the one that wrote him. That's why he can ask these questions that just profound them. You know, I wish that I could sit on the streets when I'm preaching and just have those answers that always shut the mouths. You know, it would be wonderful in New York City. You know, you see, people were were kind of confused. I don't know if it was you or someone else who was like, you know, boy, it was crazy last night. No, come to New York. We have guys in tutus that dance in front of us while we're preaching. It, It really is hard to keep a straight face. I mean, I want to laugh at times, you know, it's just like, really? Okay. So here's Jesus. He's, he's in the temple. He's teaching. He says, he asked them a question and he says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the, uh, in the Holy Spirit declared The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how could he be his son? And the great throng throng heard him gladly. So let me explain what's going on here. This is a reference back to the Psalms, specifically Psalm 110, verse 1. And he's actually referring to the same... I don't know if you guys know this, but the, the, the chapter breaks and verses are not in the Old Testament or New Testament. They came many years later. It's a horrible thing that we did. I understand. It's easier to reference, but it also messes things up. You know, one of the ways that you'd refer to Psalm 110 is you quote the first line. That's how you refer to the whole psalm. We do that, don't we, with, with hymns sometimes. We can't remember the name of the hymn, so we just give the first line. Okay, well, your church still sings him, so you understand that. Um, But what you have is you have him referring to that whole psalm. But he's asking a question about David. And he's challenging them. Think about the theology of what he's saying. David, this great king that every Jewish person would look up to. I mean, there's a couple people that Jews really honor. I mean, you got Abraham, you got Moses, and you got David. I mean, you don't mess with those guys. All right, I, I, I... I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I, I, I got a Jewish guy that wanted to... I lived in one of the largest Talmudic studies in the East Coast. So I have a very, very heavy Jewish area. And I get a lot of Jewish people that want to convert me back to Judaism. Rabbis and different people. And so some guy had listened to a debate I did. Uh, he found our website. He called up and he wanted to get together with, for, with dinner with me and talk to me. And I always get nervous 
I mean, my wife has, I literally record the conversation, which I can in New Jersey, single consent law. Uh, I actually have set up when we do these meetings, because I meet with atheists and, or professing atheists and things, and we actually have a thing set up where I, have, I usually have four different people that are set to text me at a specific time and ask me crazy questions, and I give them crazy answers, and that's how they know I'm okay. Okay? This is my life. And so I'm meeting with this guy, and this guy is, he's, you know, did you know that David never committed adultery? That's what he was trying to explain to me. It was, it was an insane argument that he tried to make. But why was he so, had such a problem with David committing adultery? David, is, he's too great of a person in Judaism. He couldn't have done that. It, they make it almost as if Moses and Abraham and David, they couldn't have committed sin. Why? Because as this rabbi said, because he's a man after God's own heart. And you can't be a man after God's own heart if you're chasing after women. Uh, do you know how many wives David had? I'm just... Sometimes, I mean, logic just doesn't always work with people. But, but you see that you have such a reverence for David. But look at what he's saying here. How can the scribe say that the Christ, this offspring, this future person, is the son of David? Because, see, the Christ is going to be of the line of David. But he's saying, how could that be? Because David, and and note in the scriptures, these things that are just mentioned almost off the cuff and are really, really important. David himself in the Holy Spirit. In other words, what what Jesus is saying is, David, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what David said in Psalms 10 is scripture. The Holy Spirit wrote that. Not David, the Holy Spirit. It was David, but it was the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we kind of tend to read over those things, don't. But David himself, by the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord, said to my Lord. Now, the Lord, in the Hebrew, this is God speaking to David's Lord. And the argument is, and this is an argument that you'd have, is that your descendant is not greater than the ancestor. So how could David, this great king, say to his descendant and call him Lord? The importance there is when we look at the Old Testament, is to see that there is terms. You have three names for God. You have what we'd say uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, we have, which is used specifically only for God. The, okay, It's a name uniquely used for God. You have Adonai and Elohim. Elohim is used once for judges, men as judges but then any other time used for God. Adonai, it can mean master, so it can be used of men. Sarah called her husband Lord, okay? Not God, but just master. And so the point there is this, is that you have different titles. How do we know the title is speaking of God being deity? Very simple, context. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, how could God say to David's descendant, Lord? Okay, you seeing that? See, David would be the one that would be higher than the descendant. He's the ancestor. You don't call the descendant higher. Okay, so he's saying, so he's giving them a theological problem. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. So he's saying, here is, David is calling a descendant Lord. How could that be? How could it be? Well, the only way it could be, and this is the argument that that Jesus is making, how could the scribes say that Christ is the Son of God? They say it because the Christ is going to be God. That's the point. That's how David could be looking up to. That's why Jesus would say in, in John 10, that before Abraham was, I am. He preceded him. And so what you have here is that he's saying that David looked up to the Christ. He saw him as greater than him. And therefore, he ended up saying that this son of David would be a special person who would be God. Now in closing, let's finally get to where I always said we'd get to. Let's get to some Old Testament passage. We're just going to look at two. I want to look at the Davidic covenant briefly with you in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I, I, you know, that's the part of the Bible you guys dust off probably. Maybe not you guys. Most churches, 
You know, you read Genesis, Exodus, Matthew. (laughs) I I used to do this. I don't do it anymore. As a show of hands, how many people have actually read through the entire Bible? And you don't... Okay. Well, actually, okay. How many have... It's usually really embarrassing to people. That's why I don't. But I encourage you to read through the whole Bible every year. I'll tell you what I do as a a form. I actually buy a different study Bible every year. And I read not only the Bible, but the notes from different people, even sometimes people I don't agree with. Um, But what it does is it gets me in a Bible and interacting. Okay, but that's what I do. Um, It drives my wife nuts because I'm buying a Bible every year. She's like, you know, I had a friend come to the house. He's like, with this many Bibles, you should be the holiest man I know. And my wife says, only if he reads them. <laughs> She's got a good point there. So let's look. Um, I don't want to read too much. Let, let's just, I'll, I'll start at verse 10. This is 2 Samuel 7. Uh, I just want to look at verse 10 there. I'll start there. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be distributed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appoint the judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will make a house. Now, we know that there's a nation of Israel. There was a nation of Israel. Did they ever have a time where all their enemies? (laughs) No. So I would argue this is probably still future. You may disagree, but, but there is something here where he's giving, I think, a future thing with Israel. And, but here's the important part. Look at what he's going to establish in, in verse 12 is where we're going to pick up. When, those, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stop there and we're gonna because there's more here, but I want to just point out that's an important thing. To a Jewish person, you know what there's one time where the Jews picked up stones, they wanted to kill Jesus because he called God his father. You don't do that in Judaism. In fact, you don't even call him just God. When you pray, he is almighty God, the awesome God, the creator of the universe, God, but he is not just God. Okay. You don't call him just God calling him father, being intimate with him. But this son of David, oh, he would be intimate. He would have a special relationship. Let's move on with it. It says when he, when he when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod from men, I, uh, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. I took him from Saul. I will put him before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with the words And in accordance uh, with the vision, uh, Nathan spoke to David. So this was a a covenant, a special thing that God did with, with, with David to say, this is a covenant I make with you. That there will be a time that someone will come from your loins who I have a special, unique relationship with. I will be a father to him. He will be a son. He will take the iniquity upon him and I will punish him for that iniquity. And he will have a kingdom forever see david's kingdom wasn't forever you can't even argue that david's kingdom was forever having multiple generations but this one king would be a king forever in other words this one king would be eternal which means he's god one last verse jeremiah 23 this is a verse that i encourage you to memorize if you do interact with jehovah witnesses Um, they usually have no idea what to answer for this Jeremiah 23, what I typically will do is I will ask any Jehovah Witness if they would do me a favor in their translation, and I'll ask them if they would read Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And I will read that for you. Behold, the days are coming, 
declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And I say, who is this seed of David being spoken of? And without hesitation, every Jehovah Witness will say, Jesus. And I say, thank you. Read verse 6. In the days of Judah, he will... Uh, in, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called Yahweh Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. The son of David will be called God our righteousness. That is what he is. You see, the son of David, that... People called Jesus. As we look to the Old Testament, that son of David was Almighty God. Using the specific name that is only used for the covenant creator God. And by the way, Jeremiah doesn't do that just once. He does it twice. Um, and, uh, in I think it's 34, 15, and 16. No, nope, maybe 33. Yep, 33, sorry. In verse 33, in in 15 and 16, I'll just read, it's the same phrase. In those days, Judah would be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name which he will be called Yahweh Sikkanu, Jehovah our righteousness. That's what it says in the New World Translation, Jehovah our righteousness. Your Bible, your poor translation, says that the Messiah Jesus that you said was Jesus is Yahweh, is Jehovah. You see, to a Jewish person, when someone said, this is the son of David, they didn't hear that as just offspring. You see now that all of this that I've been trying to help you understand is all wrapped up in this title. Son of David is the eternal king, the one that would establish a kingdom that would last forever, that would bring a salvation, that would take iniquity upon himself. That he would be punished by God with that and take that discipline for other people. That he would be that one that would establish a kingdom that would never go away. This is who the son of David is. This is why it's so important to understand who the son of David is, Jesus Christ. For if he is not God, then he is not that eternal king. Then he did not take that punishment of yours and mine that we deserved upon himself. And then we still owe it then. So I have two challenges for you. If you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ, you can't call him son of David because you have not accepted who he is. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, left heaven to come to earth. Stop and think about that. Would you do that? We want to get there. He left a place where all the angels are singing his praises. There's no sickness, no starvation, no sin, no suffering. And he came to earth. <gasps> right, he didn't come to California. It would have been paradise. But, you know, he, he, but he came to earth. At a time where he waited until they mastered a form of crucifixion that was so cruel... I would have waited for lethal injection. He waited for the crucifixion. And he said, now is the time that I can enter into humanity, that God became a man and died on a cross to be the payment of sin. As Philippians says, that he became a slave, a slave unto men, a slave unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did that as a payment of sin that you could be set free. If you don't know Jesus Christ here, well, my challenge to you is that today would be the day of salvation for you. That today you could call upon him as son of David, as the Messiah, as the one who died and offers to you forgiveness of sin. May today be that day. Many of us live with guilt of sin. Oh, do we do things to try to cover up that guilt? You know why we have an alcohol problem in this country? Why we have a pornography problem? Why we have a problem with with people that are doing drugs? Because they can't get rid of their guilt. Now, if you're a believer here today, two things I hope that you were encouraged with. One, don't just read your Bible. Read your Bible. Devour your Bible. 
so that you can see the depths of the scriptures. Know that these little things like son of David are not just some phrase that we could read over, but it has great significance. And know that in Christ, we have been forgiven. Think about why Christ came. How in the world could we ever complain about the struggles of this world? It's amazing. We do complain a lot. Well, maybe not you guys, just me. I'm Jewish. It's in our blood, right? Here, we read that in the Old Testament. Boy, oh boy, don't we serve a great God? Don't we serve a risen king? It doesn't matter what the politicians do as they mess up the country. We're just passing through. Brothers and sisters, this is not our home. The more they mess up this world, we should be longing for home. I can't wait to get there. Especially as I get older and this body fails. Lord, take me home. Don't you have a desire to be with your king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is amazing to look into your scriptures and see what you have done. Lord, you are so great. You are an amazing, amazing, amazing God. We will never for eternity run out of things to say about your greatness. We will sing about you for all of eternity and never run out of being in awe of how great you are. Oh, dear Lord, may you work on our hearts. Help us to be made more and more into your image while we're here on earth. We desire greatly to be with you and home with you. But while we're here, while we're here, Lord, may we focus on serving you, living our life in a way that's pleasing in your sight. Enable us, Lord, that we would strive to make today an eternal day for your glory. Amen.